Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, March 1st, 2023, the 770th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So we started the week with Woody Harrelson on his Saturday night live monologue telling the country that maybe, just maybe, the vaccine program was a bit scammy for the pharmaceutical companies. That they locked everyone in their homes and said, you can only come out and return to some semblance of normal life if you take our pharma products and you never stop taking them. You're going to take them whenever we tell you to take them. That's the deal if you want to come back outside. Now, a lot of people took that as Woody Harrelson dropping major red pills on the entire country. And it's possible that he did hammer that point home for a few brain dead commies who still watch Saturday Night Live and haven't figured out that the vaccines are a scam. But for everyone else, all he did was say something that everyone has understood for a pretty long time. And he's actually giving pharma a soft landing. Now that is the new public position on vaccines that is allowed to be spoken. Sure, it was a little scammy, but those pharma companies, you know them, they just like to make a profit. Maybe we didn't need all these boosters, but it's definitely a good thing we got vaccinated because we haven't died from COVID yet and we haven't died from the vaccine yet. And because we are still alive, that means it was good. We took the vaccine because otherwise, who knows? And sure, Kami, that makes sense if you don't think about really anything at all, because the thing is, we're still alive, too. And we didn't inject ourselves 
with a toxic experimental medical technology that can't protect us from a disease that can't kill us. We didn't make a life or death decision without thinking about life or death. And we certainly didn't publicly support mandates and medical segregation. So we haven't come out of this in the same position. I know that you're okay. But that, my friends, is a temporary state because the best news you might receive is that people aren't very mad at you. That is your best case outcome. The worst case outcomes are obviously the effects of the experimental medical technology that is still circulating in your body. But the thing is, people like us don't want that outcome for you. That's why we talk this way about this subject. Because maybe that's what will wake you up. The data doesn't do it. Shocker. So perhaps treating you like the child brain you have been for maybe your entire life might flip that switch and convince you to get yourself checked out and take some steps to protect yourself from what you've done or at least stop doing it over and over and over again. And I know that people in our community sometimes say things like, why do you care about what these celebrities are doing and saying? And in one sense, I don't. What happens to them in their lives has virtually no effect on me. But in another sense, I care very much because these people do set cultural narratives and they disseminate cultural narratives. They disseminate the slogans as handed down from the authoritative source. They are in some way a middleman, a medium that delivers the slogans from the authoritative source to the people. And there are people who spend their lives exclusively paying attention to celebrities. It's the same obsession that some people have with the British royal family. They enjoy watching their little ceremonies, their little promenades. They like to see them in their fancy costumes. Same thing with the award shows in America, the Grammys, the Golden Globes, the Emmys, the Oscars. We even need to add more award shows just so we have more opportunities to see the celebrities be celebrated as they deserve to be in all their fancy outfits, their nice little dresses, ooh, their jewelry. Ooh, look at what that one painted on the back of her dress. Look, Lady Gaga's wearing a dress made out of meat. Isn't that something? So it doesn't matter that we don't care about celebrities and what they think. It matters that other people do. And if our goal is for everyone to understand what's been done on a truly societal basis, we really want as close to everyone as we can get understanding what has happened. And if that's our goal, we need to understand how the central narrative is distributed, how the slogans are distributed, and we need to find ways to disrupt that or to remove the social credit from the figures disseminating these slogans and the central narrative so that fewer people will pay attention to them and eventually no one will. They'll just see the person on television as another person saying the thing that they probably don't know anything about and maybe at that point we can finally begin to ignore them. You can't just say ignore these people and hope that someday that will work. We also need to remove the social incentive structure that has these celebrities coming out and making political statements in the first place. And I'm not talking primarily about Woody Harrelson right now at all. Again, I think Woody Harrelson might be a fine guy. It's not like I know him very well. I don't know the depth of his character, but I do know people who know him very well and they think he's a great guy. And while his statement on Saturday Night Live may have been pre-approved and controlled. It's not like he was out there creating active harm and telling everybody to get the shot or to mask up. There are still celebrities out there saying some pretty heinous things, and so I want to talk about some of those for a little bit. 
because generally speaking, our society has some level of admiration for these people. And sure, maybe it's just people on the left or people who imagine that they're centrists while they allow the global movement to just steamroll the entire nation. But there are people out there who eat this stuff up and then they go out into the world and actually argue that these points are true and they feel like they must be true because they were said by someone famous. Famous people, you see, have access to other famous people. They have access to experts and professors and scientists. They can interact with them on Twitter or Instagram. And professors and scientists and media figures and politicians will think, oh, wow, a celebrity is talking to me. This is amazing. I'm going to tell the celebrity everything I know. And then the celebrity is going to feel like they're basically an expert too. See, I can say this because I have a friend at Johns Hopkins, or I can say this because I'm friends with Jake Tapper and Jake Tapper, you know, it's his job to know these things. People are still reeled in by celebrities and celebrities set narratives. They are the medium between the authoritative source and you. The same way that the cable news is a medium between the authoritative source and you. The same way that the NFL and the NBA and the other professional sports leagues serve as a medium between the authoritative source and you. That's why it says end racism at the back of NFL end zones and NBA players all take a knee for George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. They are disseminating the same message, trying to get full saturation across society, make sure that everybody hears the message. Everyone knows that's the right message. Everyone knows that's the message that will win you points. So repeat this message. It's just a matter of marketing to different groups of people. Some people are obsessed with the cable news. They get it straight through the cable news, right down from the authoritative source, and they go out repeating the slogans. Some people will come out and say, oh, you know, I'm not interested in politics. I have more important things to focus on. And then they'll watch six hours of sports every night and be indoctrinated by the social justice messaging and the inspiring stories about the athletes, and they'll watch all the commercials on breaks from the game that reinforce different parts of the false reality. All that matters is that everything hews to the central narrative and they are delivering the central narrative to you. Doesn't matter if it's through news or through social media or through professional athletes or musicians or actors. It is just a medium for the transmission of the message marketed and distributed in different ways. So let's get down with some hardcore celebrity re because they are bringing it in big portions this week. And first, let's talk about Bill Maher. Now, I was a big fan of Bill Maher's show for probably 15 or so years. I started watching Bill Maher in either the late 90s or early 2000s. I remember when he got kicked off his show, Politically Incorrect, for talking about 9-11 saying the wrong things about 9-11. He basically said that the terrorists were at least kind of brave that they would sacrifice their own lives flying planes into buildings. And I suppose that sounds offensive. It especially sounds offensive in an uber patriotic uh, military moment, like the moment in which he said it. But what he's actually saying is kind of unremarkable. You might think of a kamikaze pilot doing the same thing. The difference, of course, is that the kamikaze pilot is probably piloting a plane by himself and attempting to strike a military target, whereas these people took planes filled with innocent people and flew them into buildings filled with innocent people, at least, you know assuming that the public story about 9-11 is true, right? I'm working within the central narrative here, and obviously I understand that that is not the full, complete, correct story by any means whatsoever. Just that caveat for everybody out there who's like, that's not what happened. Okay, I get it. 
but I was a fan of Bill Maher for a long time. I self-identified as a Democrat. I was kind of raised and educated into the Democrat mindset with Democrat sensibilities, the sort of liberal who believes that all the problems in the world can be solved by the smartest people. Once they figure out how to fix things, then they just need to get society on board. And by the way, that is what I thought I was always signed up for, right? We have these ideas. These ideas are right. We can prove these ideas are right. Let's take these ideas to the public, prove these ideas to the public, get the public to agree with us, and then we'll implement these ideas. That is not what's going on in the regime at all. And when you figure that out, that's one of the most shocking things. They're not trying to convince the public. They're just trying to justify what they force through. And again, I was wrong about all sorts of things with how the system worked. But Bill Maher at the time sounded provocative, like a truth teller, like the sort of person who was willing and brave enough to say the really difficult things that no one else would say, even though they were true. And that's generally something that I admire in people. Now I'm older. Now I know more. Now I understand that he is still just saying the things he's allowed to say on TV and he is repeating the central narrative and he does not apparently have the ability to think too far outside that. And if he does, then he realizes that that bumps into his own self-interest and he cancels all of that out in favor of his own self-interest. And we are going to hear that in the second clip I'm about to play. But before that, understand that a year or so ago, a man named John Malone bought Warner Media, which houses HBO and CNN. And so Bill Maher on HBO, he has a show real time with Bill Maher. And now they're trying to bring the Bill Maher thing over to CNN. They're trying to figure out if there is a fit for Bill Maher over at CNN. So he just sat down and did an interview with Jake Tapper. So let's get some very astute analysis from one of the regime's most important mouthpieces on how the Republican primary might shake out. If Donald Trump is challenged for the nomination, um, I mean, he's obviously already being challenged by Governor Hale, Nikki Haley, and then there's talk right. of other people, Governor DeSantis and right. Mike Pompeo and others, Vice President Pence. Do you think any of them can take him out? No, but I think what they will do is ensure him the nomination. By splitting all the alternatives. Absolutely. Same thing that the, happened before. Yeah. The only way... Trump doesn't get that nomination um, is if it's just him and DeSantis. If it's a bunch of people in there, yeah, they're going to split the anti-Trump vote because, you know, Trump has a very hardcore following. I mean, it's a cult, and cults don't ever go away. Look at Christianity. Uh, so I, I despair about that because I think when politicians smell the White House, they don't care about the repercussions for the country. They just want to go for it. DeSantis against Trump, I think, could get it. Uh, you know, somebody said to me once, a conservative guy, he said, the thing you guys don't understand about us is we don't really like Trump. Now, that doesn't speak for all the Trumpers. He definitely has some real fans. Oh, sure. But there's a lot of people who voted for him, and that's their little secret. We don't like him either. We just vote for him because the stuff that you guys are doing on your fringe is scarier to us than what he's doing, which is saying a lot. And I'm not quite with them, but I get it. Yeah, I think it's I also it. that, that he hates the same people that they hate, even if they don't agree yes. with Trump. You know what I mean? And they love it that he sticks his thumb in their eye. So there you have it. The most mainstream, normie possible view of the primaries. If a bunch of candidates get in, they're going to split the anti-Trump vote and that will leave Trump the winner except for the fact that Trump is well over 50% in almost every poll you can find with massive leads on all of them, and the entire anti-Trump vote doesn't add up to the Trump vote. Of course, this also assumes that elections are held freely and fairly and are not manipulated and can't be manipulated. You see, the viewpoint from that side always says that because they hate Trump so much, 
there's this huge group of people out there who also hates Trump. And then Bill Maher mentions that he speaks to Republicans and they say, well, we don't like the guy either, but we vote for him based on how bad you are. And for some people, that is absolutely true. But the some people that includes are the sorts of people who are very afraid of getting in trouble for saying that they like Donald Trump. Now, it's fine to not like Donald Trump. I don't actually care what people's feelings lead them to say as if their feelings constitute some sort of good reason for casting their vote. I think the country, by and large, is waking up to the fact that their vote should be considered a business decision and made in a very practical way, not because this guy says the things I like and this guy says the things I don't like. This guy knows how to ride skateboards and play guitar. This lady could be the first black woman ever elected to this position. This could be the first gay man ever elected to this position. This is very important. My feelings matter so very much. So Trump He's just an orange guy that says mean things, and I would never choose him over the first black woman to ever be elected to this position. Okay, commie, congratulations on your feelings. And yeah, that's how commies make all their decisions, but it's how Republican normies make their decisions too. They don't want the social pressure of having to defend Trump to their liberal normie friends. Liberals interpret this as some sort of space where they can drive a wedge between Trump and his supporters, believing that his supporters really don't like Trump and would prefer almost any other choice. And all we need to do is present another choice and empower that choice from the liberal side. And then Trump supporters will see how much better a choice they're being offered and then switch. But that's the thing. Liberals don't understand why Trump supporters support Trump in the first place. We are trying to break the regime. Trump is a tool. Trump is a weapon. Trump is the champion of the America first movement and the best and perhaps only person to be able to do that. So if we're making a choice in a business like way, if we're being very pragmatic with breaking the regime as our goal, we don't have to like Trump. Our personal feelings about Trump and the way he speaks, the way he tweets or anything else don't matter at all because there's one goal and there's one path toward achieving that goal. And that's what we're doing. And because Bill Maher can't actually understand that, because all of his incentives are aligned with the regime and with the agenda of the regime and his job, his career are dependent on regime bucks and regime attention and regime promotion. He thinks that our strict only Trump position is because we're in a cult. Now, I've talked about this countless times on this podcast, and I've even seen this now in other places around social media and whatnot. But the idea that we're in a cult and also the ones who didn't take the vaccine makes absolutely no sense. They think all of this is an accurate description because they don't understand the purpose of our loyalty. They don't understand where it comes from or what substantiates it. They think that Trump is just a crazy, stupid, awful narcissist who messes everything up. And for anyone to get fully behind that, you must be irrational or crazy, a member of a cult. Bill Maher, on the other hand, would never be part of a cult. He would never be the sort of person that says the things everyone else says. He would never be the sort of person who would just accept received knowledge from authority and then make that his own belief system and go out and repeat it everywhere except when it comes to literally his entire agenda besides the left's wokeness. The critiques Bill Maher has on the left is that he believes sometimes they just go a little too far. They have the right ideas. They're pushing the right direction. 
but they're going a little too far to the point where people are jumping off. They don't want to be on that ride anymore. They don't want to support that agenda anymore, but it's only because they've gone too far. So what they need to do is just scale back a little bit and then everybody will be like, yeah, you guys are still the rational choice. This makes sense. And we just push the agenda further and further along and eventually countries are all gone. There are no borders. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. He doesn't have real disagreements with far left extremists, communist progressives, whatever you want to call them. To him, it's just a matter of degrees. And he believes he's very rational and very centrist because the rhino establishment Republicans he associates with occasionally agree with him and thank him and say, oh, you've said the right thing now. Maybe you are on our side a little bit. That's all it takes to be seen as a centrist. But then he goes one step further and says, yes, cults stick around. Just look at Christianity. So now Christianity is a cult. Climate change, which is one of Bill Maher's most important issues, is not a cult. Now, there's no proof anywhere that man-made climate change is happening in the way they claim. But 97% of scientists agree that it is we are told and Bill Maher is told, and therefore that's all he needs to know that it's true. And once he's understood that it's true, then it becomes the most important thing in the world. And you'd have to be stupid to disagree with it. Bill Maher was a massive Barack Obama supporter. He gave him a million dollars in the 2012 election, announced it on stage at one of his shows. Bill Maher believed and still believes that the only reason anyone might object to Barack Obama as president or Barack Obama's programs is because of racism. He has spent much of the last 15 or 20 years calling Republicans stupid and fat and dangerous and evil, just like everyone else on his side. But they're not a cult. Trump supporters and Christians. Now, those are cults. And then Jake Tapper tops it off at the end. They love him because he hates the same people they hate. Well, there's an element of truth to that, too. Trump hates the global regime. He hates anti-American people in our government, in the Uniparty. And we hate them, too. But hate isn't even really the accurate word. It's not about hate. It's not about emotion. It's about these people are evil and intentionally trying to destroy the country. They tell everyone in the world about it in their articles, in their white papers, in their conferences, in their videos, in their public appearances. And we are all supposed to ignore all of that and just assume that because they're the best people, they have the best solutions and we need to support them again because they're the best people. That's not how Jake Tapper and Bill Maher see it, though, because they're good liberals. They think that the people Trump hates and the people Trump supporters hate are liberals like them because they have the good lives that everyone wants. They have the money and the prominence, the status, the wealth, the power. All of the Trump supporters, oh, they're just aggrieved because they want to continue living in a bygone era. They're not prepared to live in reality. Their political viewpoint when it comes to their political opponents is they're all just jealous of us. Or they're just hateful people trying to eliminate all of the people they hate when nothing could be further from the truth. But apparently Bill Maher feels this in a very personal way. Listen to this. It sounds like he's being hyperbolic, but is he? Despondent when Trump was elected? Did you think, oh my God, this isn't the country I thought it was? I was, I was afraid for my own well-being. I thought I could wind up in Guantanamo Bay. I think I still could. I mean, he, he's, he was ranting about me all last week again. He's obsessed sometimes. I don't know. He went on a tear for about eight months when he was president. Every time he'd have a rally. I have a list three pages long of the things he's called me. Bill Maher, right? Everybody know Bill Maher, for example? He's a radical left maniac with modest television ratings. Right? Modest. Depressed nut job, low rating sleazebag. 
Uh, and he was doing it again last week. He, does, he doesn't like that I'm on CNN. Yeah. I don't know why that gets to him. He doesn't like oh, it. Oh, he's doing it now since he's he doing started it doing now. the thing on Friday nights. Yes. He's, he doesn't like that. On Truth Social, he does it. I, uh, or in a rally. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't like that Fox quotes me. When Fox quotes me, you know, and of course, Fox will watch it, one of my shows. 90% of it might be something they, material that they hate, but they take out of it. No, they do the even liberal Bill Maher. They, they right. Do, <laughs> Exactly. That's what they do to you every you time. To, right, you have to preface it by saying, look, we hate this guy. He's awful. But, you know, he said one good thing. And Trump that drives. So I don't know. So I, I'm afraid of Trump on a, on a very personal level because I don't think he likes me. I understand why. Uh, and I don't know what he would do in a second term. I mean, he is obviously someone who does not know any boundaries. And, you know, you have to worry when you see what other authoritarian rulers do in other countries to people. I, I'm not thinking he's going to become Putin and start pushing people out windows, but I'm not going to live on the 30th floor anywhere either. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think he obsesses about you so much? I, I just... Do you I think he longs I, for your approval? I, do you... I, I, no. I, 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 don't, I cannot get into his head. I just think he... He lives, he's a media creature. He doesn't read. He only looks at television. I mean, every time he quotes me, he always says, I was watching the show accidentally. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's, I mean, if he only I just knew. stumbled on HBO. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. He's not aware of what a preposterous figure he is. So Donald Trump is obsessed with Bill Maher, not the other way around. Bill Maher has talked about Donald Trump on his show during what must be nearly every episode for now going on eight years, even while Donald Trump is not president, and Donald Trump's tweets about Bill Maher show that Donald Trump is obsessed with Bill Maher. And because of Donald Trump's obsession with Bill Maher, Bill Maher is worried for his safety. He's worried that he might end up in Guantanamo Bay. He said that he felt that way after Trump won in 2016 and for four years of Trump as president, there was no moment ever where Trump posed any threat of sending Bill Maher to Guantanamo Bay. And apparently Bill Maher is still worried about that. What does Bill Maher think he's done that would have him sent to Guantanamo Bay by Donald Trump? Donald Trump's not the one who weaponized the law enforcement apparatus of the federal government against his political opponents and private citizens. That's Joe Biden. Donald Trump didn't do anything that could even qualify as authoritarian, but they don't care because they imagine that Donald Trump sounds like an authoritarian would sound. He doesn't care about the things that the media says. He won't bend to their desires at all times. Therefore, he's an authoritarian who would throw comedians off of balconies. It doesn't even make sense at all. Joe Biden's Justice Department labeled parents of school kids domestic terrorists. Joe Biden's regime has peaceful protesters who happen to walk onto the Capitol property being held for two years now as political prisoners. The illegitimate Biden regime has censored Americans. They employed coerced medical experimentation, considered medical segregation, talked about depriving people of their ability to go about their normal lives unless they injected themselves with a toxic experimental gene therapy. But yet Donald Trump is the authoritarian and Bill Maher is personally scared that he might get sent to Gitmo. Well, hey, Bill, play your cards right and maybe you can get that little vacation you've always desired. Now let's switch to another semi-famous Hollywood actor who played the father in the hit sitcom Malcolm in the Middle, here's Brian Cranston on whatever show that ridiculous loser Chris Wallace now hosts, I guess on CNN. 
And of course, CNN is always crushing it with their celebrity appearances. How did we get to a point where we treated other human beings as slaves and, and were okay with that? When I, when I see the, the Make America Great Again, my comment is, do you, do, you, do you accept that that could possibly be construed as a racist remark? And most people, a lot of people go, how could that be racist? Make America great again? I said, so just ask yourself from, from an African-American experience, when was it ever great in America for the African-American? When was it great? So if you're making it great again, it's not including them. So it's, it's to teach us in the woke world to open up and, and accept the possibilities that our privilege has created blind spots for us. And maybe I haven't seen what is really happening yet in all my years. Well, he certainly has the last part correct. In their woke world, they certainly do not know what's really going on, even after all their years. Now, it is almost unimaginable to me that that's a new clip because What Brian Cranston is saying right there was the response to what Make America Great Again means in 2015 and 2016, back when Donald Trump first started running for president and started using Make America Great Again as his campaign slogan. That's how they tried to attack Trump way back then. MAGA was racist because American life has never been good for black people. Therefore, if you're saying you want to make America great again, what that means is erasing all of the advancement that black Americans have achieved over the last, you know, we're told 60 years since the Democrats fixed racism with the Civil Rights Act. They always fail to mention that Democrats filibustered the passage of it and that Lyndon B. Johnson, upon signing it, said, we'll have those N words voting Democrat for the next 200 years. And of course, they also forget about the fact that the Democrat Party was the party of slavery, the Confederacy, the KKK, Jim Crow laws and decades, centuries of urban decay and oppression in black communities. What they really wanted was to figure out a way to never have to address what the phrase actually means. Make America great again. America should be great. We have all the resources. We have a wonderful constitution. We have innovative, intelligent, hardworking people. There is no reason why our country shouldn't be great for all Americans. Black Americans are Americans. Hispanic Americans are Americans. Asian Americans are Americans. Native Americans are Americans. We're all Americans if you're born in America. America should be for Americans. Nothing could be more obvious, but they don't want to talk about that. So instead, they pretend that the entire cause behind a campaign and behind a movement is itself racist. They make it out as if it might as well just be the Klan. That's what they did in 2015, 2016. And apparently the actor, Brian Cranston, whose entire existence revolves around saying the things he's told to say, is saying something from nearly eight years ago that cannot even be taken seriously anymore. He's like an aging parent trying to sound cool for all the kids and not realizing that what was hip eight years ago isn't hip anymore. His explanation is preposterous and it should be embarrassing, but he's not embarrassed because he thinks that that is actually a heroic thing to say. He thinks that he is actually going out there and defending black America because he's been told that's what it means to defend black America and there's nothing happening upstairs. When your entire career and your entire life is based on your public image, 
the way you are perceived by strangers you don't know will never meet and almost definitely don't want to meet, then nothing can be more important than being seen as a good person. They want to be seen as heroes. Actors want to be seen as heroes. They want to play heroes in stage shows and movies and television shows because they like it when strangers imagine them as the very best people. They believe they are saving the world by telling we commoners what the really smart people out there know. That's how detached from reality they are. They think they are doing a public service by disseminating the messages handed down from the authoritative source to all of us commoners, because otherwise we would have no way of figuring out what the really, really smart, very, very good people believe. Clearly, we can't figure anything out for ourselves. So someone has to impart the knowledge of the best and the brightest to us. They think, well, they can't figure it out for themselves, but maybe they'll listen to someone as important as me. And so then they just repeat the slogans and they have to keep doing it and doing it until it works. And what they're doing is absolutely crucial. Because without people that important disseminating the messages, well, then no one is ever going to be able to understand the truth of the authoritative source. They believe that the size of their following, the extent of their reach, how many people they can reach means that they are doing something crucial by imparting this information. That is genuinely how these people perceive this. And I am telling you from direct personal knowledge, they talk often about how important it is for them to use their platform as a facilitator of societal change. They believe that it is their moral responsibility to the world to disseminate these messages to people. They believe it is a reflection of their own goodness and that they will take the risk of being controversial and potentially turning off some amount of their fans because the message is that important and they are that important that they must commit to disseminating the message because that's the only way to heal the world. But the even deeper understanding present here is that Brian Cranston knows absolutely zero MAGA people. Maybe he had some around him in his life before now. I really, really doubt it. But there certainly aren't any now because listen to how he talks about them. He does not have a single Trump supporter close to him in his life. He believes that he is part of a very, very diverse community because in Hollywood, that's what they tell one another. But as someone who has literally been to thousands of Hollywood events and parties and at least hundreds of different celebrities houses in the mix of their own friend groups, I can tell you that almost none of them have friends who aren't wealthy leftists. Most of them, the vast majority, are white. Occasionally, they'll have Middle Eastern friends or black friends, Hispanic friends. Friends of all races do come there, but all of them are rich and liberal. Their friends who represent diverse populations are almost exclusively met through working on the same projects, which means that they have a similar social status, which supersedes any consideration of race. The groups of people therein are not diverse at all, except when it comes to these superficial and mostly irrelevant identity characteristics around which collectivists and racists, because racism kind of requires collectivism, center their definition of what it is to be diverse. But he doesn't actually know anyone who supports Trump. Isn't that incredible? He sees a racist symbol every time he sees a MAGA hat. If you are a MAGA supporter, well, you must be racist. You want to take America back to a time where black people just didn't have it very good at all. 
And now because of Democrats, oh, black people have it so wonderful, especially in Hollywood, where they now have race quotas for award shows. Look, black people are winning our special awards now. And sure, the awards don't mean anything that they used to mean. But look, black people are winning them. That means we solved racism. The thing is, he's making these statements about a truly diverse group of people, the America First movement and people in the America First movement. Those are people of all races, all economic classes, representing all religions, representing different sexual identities and orientations. But none of that matters to Brian Cranston, who doesn't know any of those people. To him, they're just a monolith, and that monolith is hateful. He's sure they're hateful, even though he doesn't know any of them. What kind of person believes that about a group of diverse people without knowing any of them? There's a word for that. Oh, yeah, it's bigot. And look where we are once again. It's a hate movement. These people are the genuine equivalent of useful idiots in propaganda movies in Germany during World War II. And that's how they will be seen for the rest of their lives. Everybody knows what they've said, what they've done, how they've treated people. They go out and put it on television. They are making a bet on their permanent reputation without any consideration that they might be wrong. And how would they come to believe something like that? Oh, yeah, it's because they're stuck in an informational bubble where nothing from the outside ever gets in. And if something sort of gets in, they reject it immediately. Oh, those are just the crazy, hateful people saying that those people are all stupid and worthless and poor and no one cares what they say. So it's not a big deal when they tell me I'm doing something abhorrent. So that's the problem with what Brian Cranston said from my perspective Let's get the perspective of an actual black American who agrees with me. This is Jason Whitlock writing for The Blaze. The headline yesterday, my letter to Breaking Bad star Brian Cranston. Dear Brian Cranston, my childhood was great. We lived in the ghetto. Hope and joy filled the tiny apartment I shared with my brother and mother after my parents divorced. High school was even better. I captained a nationally ranked undefeated football team. My senior year, I shared a one bedroom, 400 square foot apartment with my dad. I earned a football scholarship to Ball State University. The five years spent on campus comprised many of my fondest memories. I would do those five years over and over again until eternity. The two decades I spent as a newspaper journalist in Bloomington, Indiana, Rock Hill, South Carolina, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Kansas City, Missouri were tremendous. I started at the bottom, working part-time for $5 an hour, and became one of the most successful sports writers of my era. America was great for me from 1967 until about 2012. I'm black. Both my parents are black. Their parents were black, too. I'm 55 years old. When I hear former President Donald Trump and his supporters say, make America great again, I don't interpret that nostalgia as subtle or overt racism. I hear that as a call for a return to sanity, a return to a time when America at least pretended to judge man by the content of his character. Brian, I saw some of your interview with CNN's Chris Wallace. The exchange where you claimed the slogan, make America great again, is some sort of bigoted dog whistle. You said, when I see make America great again, my comment is, do you accept that that could possibly be construed as a racist remark? Chris Wallace should have stopped you right there. Only someone on a 24-7, 365 hunt for racism would hear that slogan and think it's racist in nature. Bill Clinton said the exact same thing in 1991 when he launched his bid to win the White House. Clinton is fondly referred to as the first black president. Clinton was not and is not black. He's a stereotypical politician, a man unafraid to distort reality for his own benefit. To you, once Trump adopted the slogan, MAGA became a Confederacy code word. Brian, you and Bill Clinton are both actors. You feign concern for black people while seducing us with lies. 
your statements to Chris Wallace come off as condescending and racist. You continued, a lot of people go, how could that be racist to make America great again? I said, so just ask yourself from an African-American experience, when was it ever great in America for the African-American? So if you're making it great again, it's not including them. Brian, as of 2020, roughly one in 10 black people living in America migrated from Africa. That's 10%. In 1980, it was only 3%. So the plight of black people in America is so miserable that real black Africans are choosing to immigrate to this country by choice, not by slave ship. America is and has been the safest, most prosperous, most opportunity rich land for black people for the last 60 years. That's why Africans and other black people from around the globe choose to relocate here. They want what I experienced in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, freedom and opportunity derived from the greatest constitution ever written. They have no interest in debating whether men have periods or can get pregnant. They want to compete on the most level playing field in the world. They may not be Christians, but they want what Christianity created. America stopped being great a decade ago. Social media accelerated American culture's descent into wokeness and secularism. America turned demonstrably hostile to a biblical worldview and patriarchal leadership. It prioritized victimhood over victory. It stopped pursuing equality of opportunity in favor of equality of outcome. Equity is the gateway drug to mass corruption. Equity fuels entitlement. It sends people on a search to discover what makes them worthy of special consideration. Equity is at the root of identity politics, gender dysphoria, and racial division. Equity is Utopia's Bible. Utopia is the left's favorite nonsensical conspiracy theory. They're determined to create it around the world. Brian, you don't have to believe black people can compete in the system George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Ben Franklin designed. You babbled at the beginning of your rant as if America's founding fathers invented slavery. They inherited the planet-long institution and wrote a constitution that made its demise inevitable. Their foresight and the sacrifice of many others over two centuries made America great. Not perfect, great. I lived in that America. I was raised to believe I could accomplish anything I wanted here. My dad didn't graduate high school. My mom was a factory worker. Union labor and manufacturing jobs made it possible for them to raise two boys who achieved parts of the American dream. My brother joined the Air Force, graduated from college, has been married for over 20 years, and owns a nice home in a nice neighborhood. Many people want that America back, a country that allows two parents with nothing more than a good work ethic to lift their children to a better life. Life doesn't get any better than that. Instead, manufacturing jobs have left this country and America caters to global corporations that favor China and a Marxist worldview. America cares far more about what's best for elite celebrities than for working class families. That frustration is at the root of the MAGA movement. It's willful ignorance to pretend otherwise. And Jason Whitlock, as always, absolutely knocks that one out of the park. The man is a truth teller and he's not afraid to say Things like this. I wonder if Brian Cranston would ever debate Jason Whitlock about the state of black America. I doubt that he would. And let's hear from one final celebrity again, shockingly on CNN. CNN is like a magnet for celebrities. And they're also a magnet for people who were formerly in the federal law enforcement community and the intel community. It's strange how all those things just work together. But anyway, it's probably nothing. Here's Sean Penn. You, of course, just released a documentary, Sean, entitled Superpower, chronicling this war and President Zelensky's leadership. What is President Zelensky's mindset as this war drags into a second year now? Well, I would I would say the president and the Ukrainians at large, um, you know, I think I'm, you know, like a broken record here because you've heard this from from so many people. Uh, their resolve continues to grow. Uh, the the it's an incredible uh, uh, moment in time. I, I sort of think of, uh, you know, th that 
the, the Beatles only came out of Liverpool. And there are these moments in time uh, where a, a group of people or a place comes to represent something that is uh, uh, just that exceptional that lasts forever. And the courage of the Ukrainians uh, at this stage in this game is going to be a, a, a piece of history we'll never forget. You've called uh, the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, a creepy little bully. What will it take, do you believe, to convince him that he's fighting a losing battle? I haven't understood his decision to do this from the very beginning. I, I can't claim to have any understanding of it. Um, short of, of, of evil power grabbing or attempted power grabbing, I, I think that he has to understand that his generals have been lying to him about what he had of a military and that uh, every, and in a kleptocracy like that, everybody's been skimming and, uh, and now he's found out that that, you know, this might not have been such a great idea, but I don't know what his back-out position is. Sean Penn, thanks so much for joining us. Now, who in the world actually thought when Sean Penn played a mentally handicapped person in 2001's I Am Sam that he would also be playing a mentally handicapped person in 2023 as Sean Penn? And giving war analysis, warmongering us into a kinetic World War III in a European country who's not our ally. Sean Penn, the peace and love hippie of Hollywood, one of the most talented actors in the entire Film Actors Guild. Last year, I went to Iraq. Before Team America showed up, it was a happy place. They had flowery meadows and rainbow skies and, and rivers made of chocolate where the children danced and laughed and played with gumdrop smiles. And that, of course, is Sean Penn representing the Film Actors Guild in his brief cameo in Team America World Police. Sean Penn can't understand why Vladimir Putin launched his very brutal invasion. He can't understand it at all. It's probably got nothing to do with the eight or nine year history of ethnic civil war being waged against ethnic Russians in the eastern half of Ukraine. It probably has nothing to do with the globalist regime pushing NATO ever closer to Russia's border, violating all of their treaties and deals. Probably has nothing to do with that. The history simply isn't important. All that's important is we have the moral impetus to say that Putin is very, very evil and anything he does is bad. We need to defend Ukraine to the end, no matter how many Nazis are in their army, no matter how many bioweapons labs they were setting up near the Russian border, no matter whether they were waging an ethnic civil war and cutting water off to all of Crimea, none of that matters. And once you've decided that none of that matters, then it does make sense to say that you have no idea why Vladimir Putin would be bothering with any of this in the first place. And then he imparts some pretty powerful wisdom to an aging and perhaps disintegrating Wolf Blitzer when he says it's apparent that Vladimir Putin doesn't have any idea of the military he has left. His generals, you see, have all been lying to him. He doesn't know that his army has basically been destroyed. Apparently, those hundreds of thousands of soldiers on Russia's border ready to join the cause in Ukraine are just made up. They don't exist. Ukraine's army has won every single battle. They have lost no territory whatsoever. It's just a different world over there in celebrity land on CNN. But no episode on the crazy things actors think would be complete without checking in with someone outside of Hollywood. Remember, diversity is very important. So let's instead go to a comedic actor in Ukraine and see what he has to say. Giving too much support to Ukraine. What would your message be on the anniversary to those Americans? Thank you. I would like to thank the American people 
I would like to thank all of the American people that are supporting Ukraine, the Congress, the President, the TV uh, channels, the journalists, and everyone that has been supporting us. And that uh, percentage of uh, Americans, as uh, you've mentioned, is increasing. Uh, I can tell them only one thing. If they do not change their opinion, if they do not understand us, if they do not support Ukraine, they will uh, lose NATO, they will lose uh, the cloud of the United States, they will lose the leadership position that they are joining in the world, uh, that they are joining for a very fair reason, and they will lose the support of the country with 40 millions of population, with millions of children. Are American children any different than ours? Don't Americans enjoy this, the same things uh, as we do? I don't think we're that different. The U.S. will have to send their sons and daughters exactly the same way as we are sending their sons and daughters to war. And they will have to fight because it's uh, nature that we're talking about. And they will be dying, God forbid, because it's a horrible thing. So Sean Penn, the liberal, progressive peace and love, kind of hippie guy, wants to let you know that it is absolutely imperative that Ukraine wins. No matter what cost, no matter how long it takes, Ukraine must win. It is absolutely crucial. And his buddy over in Ukraine, fellow actor, believes that that might require Americans sending their sons and daughters to fight and die for Ukraine. Because, you see, if they don't, if American forces don't join that effort, if American sons and daughters are not prepared to die to protect the home of the regime, well, there goes NATO. There goes all of the American power in the world. And if American citizens don't want to go and fight and die in Ukraine to protect their very sovereign borders, well, then we might just have to start the draft again because, you see, we're going to need your sons and daughters no matter what. This is what we've agreed that you have to sacrifice. And you see, we're the best people. We're the important people with the big voices on the big platforms. We're here to tell you what's best for you in hopes that you'll come along. And if you don't, well, we're just going to have to figure out how to force you. Because the thing is, we're really good and really important. And you all are just a bunch of dumb commoners who have no idea what's going on. We tried to tell you and it didn't work. We could have done it the easy way, but you chose the hard way. So you've left us no choice. Now we're going to have to force you, which I mean, I guess means that you don't have a choice, but that's fine because we own you, whether you know it or not. And we hate you, even though we don't know you at all. That's just what it means to be the very best, most important people in the world. So I may try to get shows out Thursday and Friday. I cannot promise anything. I'm kind of just seeing how this CPAC experience evolves. I imagine I will probably be too busy doing that stuff to put up shows. But hey, maybe there's a chance. I'm saying there's a chance. Otherwise, I will be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. 
The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!